Welcome, dear listener, to another Metacast interview. In this series, which is brought to you by Navic, we invite the most interesting people in the gaming space to share with you their stories, successes, mistakes, insights, advice, and spicy takes. My name is Nicola Vreek, or Nico for short, and in today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mikhail Mishka Katkov. Sorry if I butchered that. <laughs> if you're no, an avid no, no listener... Worries. I couldn't pronounce your name even if I tried, like you. All right. <laughs> so we're even. Very good. Awesome. All right. So it, if you're an avid listener to podcasts about the gaming industry, uh, you should probably know Mishka or at least recognize his voice because he's uh, the founder of Deconstructor of Fun and he blesses us weekly with a podcast about gaming news called This Week in Games or Twig. And next to that, he's also the co-founder and CEO of Savage Game Studios, where he's currently in the process of building mobile shooter, correct? Correct. Awesome. And so, yeah, I'm very excited to, to get into all of that. So Mishka, welcome to the Metacast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So, um, yeah, start off, probably most important question. What game are you currently playing? Uh, That's a good question. Our own game, of course, every day, every week. Not every day. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't play our game every day, if, if anybody is listening. So I play it every week because we have weekly play tests and so forth. All right. Uh, from the, all kinds of shooters. Uh, we play shooters at during working hours. Like we have a specific times to play different type of shooter games. So naturally, if you're a shooter studio, you have to be playing all kinds of shooters. Currently, Call of Duty Mobile is the game we're playing this month competitively. So we have leaderboards and stuff like that. And then casually, I'm playing a little bit of a Plarium's newest one, Mech Arena. Interesting one. Then, as if, if you ever listen to Deconstructive Fun Podcast, you know that I play Teamfight Tactics. It's a love-hate relationships. Hmm. Um, constant love-hate relationship. Hmm. Haven't in, uninstalled it yet, but kind of thinking about it. Don't know. Let's see. Let's see the next update. Everdale just came out, Supercell's latest. You always have to play whatever Supercell's made. Not my type of game, but I'll play okay. it. Let's let's learn about it. And then another one, always have to mention, Northguard. If you mm. haven't played this game on whatever device you're using, probably it's now on iOS. I think it's launched on, on, on Android because it's a paid game. Uh, Android is not the first destination. But if you like strategy games, if you like Settlers... And if you like Vikings, this game is for you. So I encourage everybody to pay whatever, five, six, seven, ten bucks, download Northgard and feel good about yourself. Hmm. Um, could you give us, as a matter of introduction, a short summary of like the kind of positions that you've got in the game industry before, where you, before you started Savage? Yeah, so I started as a, as an associate product manager back in the days when there were really mobile games wasn't a thing where we're doing Facebook games. Started working here in Helsinki at a company called Digital Chocolate. Uh, we're making Facebook games. So off the bat, first PM, then the associate PM, PM, senior PM. So got into learning the role, learning the job on the job. Uh, got to hiring new people, got to got to learn how to how to actually make a game, ship a game, operate a game. Sunset a game. Well, not sunset a game. I gave it to another PM. So train a PM to take over my position to start a new game. So mm-hmm. the whole life cycle. And that was an amazing learning experience that I only later realized that a lot of people don't have the whole life cycle experience from coming up with an idea, selling it to the management, getting greenlit, going through all the stages of production, putting it live after a soft launch, scaling it, and then handing it over, training another person to take over. So very grateful for that experience. Uh, then after the second game at Jill Chocolate, it was kind of clear in 2012 that the whole Facebook gaming era was about to be done. The KPIs were just totally different 
on, on a second game. And yeah, it wasn't maybe the best of the games. And uh, shout out to everybody who's making a game with a Western theme. Um, you know, unless it's a Red Dead Redemption, you're pretty fucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, uh, so um, the theme testing learned that one. Anyways, uh, the second game kind of tanked. And I was very much looking into going into mobile and decided to join Rovio. At that point, there was a company called Supercell. Uh, it was mainly people from Digital Chocolate. And it was located right next door. And a lot mm-hmm. of people were going there. And I was like, I'm not going to go there and make a browser game. I just really don't believe in this stuff. Like, I think mobile is the next next thing. Mm-hmm. So I went to Rovio. Rovio had their first free-to-play Facebook game back then. And it was doing good. But we were playing it. We are like, you guys have no clue how to monetize. Like, this is horrendous. You've totally screwed up your economy. You're flooded. It. Like, there's so many mistakes. Can I come in and fix it? That was basically my selling proposition. And they were like, fine, mm-hmm. come in. And... Um, I was responsible for a couple of different things. I was hired as a monetization manager, then kind of became an EP uh, because I wanted to show monetization. So I asked them to give me like the worst game in the portfolio, which was Angry Birds Rio. Mm-hmm. And it was like the movie already, everybody has seen the movie, doesn't even have pigs. This game is dead. And I was like, give it to me and have like a couple of people. So we we were the first team to add like boosters into uh into a mobile game, we added all the elements that make you want to have boosters. We added daily bonuses. We added notifications, kind of like all the basics to make it almost like a hybrid monetization in the sense that you have paid game and then you have uh, some monetization mechanics. And then eventually we took it away, made it fully free. So we got tons of installs. And as a result, this game that was the poorest and worst of, of the whole lot became the best performing game. And we're like, look, Free to play works, and and in that time and that organization was really hard to to prove about you know the free to play. So I was I'm, I'm lucky that they gave me the opportunity to to showcase it, mm-hmm. and then through that, then I was put in on another game, another game called Crudes, and it was the first fully free to play game at Rovio, and uh, it was set to launch at the same time with um, with the movie. Crudes, and I remember Florian Strong, who also works for uh, for Navic uh, as a d- the designer consultant. We worked on that same project with him. Mm. It was a shit show. It was such a shit show because we had no time. It was like I ship this game in four months, and the management apparently thought that there was a game that is just like almost done, but there was none. And I came in like, "Hey, where's this game?" They're like, "Well, what game?" I'm like, "But it has to be ready in four months." So it was like a. It was. It was the typical death march, like crunch to launch something that doesn't work just mm-hmm. to see it sink, but but hit the deadline. So very unfortunate experience. And at the same time, Supercell had, had pivoted from uh, web browser games to, to mobile, doing really good. And mm-hmm. uh, they called me up like, hey, dude, come back. Like, let's, let's, let's go mobile, like uh, join us. And then I ended up joining Supercell as a product manager for Clash of Clans. I ended up doing growth, uh, and then um, after Supercell, when they soft, sold to soft, uh, SoftBank, and I really wanted to go to US, I wanted to move to San Francisco, and I got the opportunity, joined Zynga as an EP, worked on a, on a big mobile game in a big corporation, lots of learning experience because I've never had really worked in a corporation. So it was like mm-hmm. changing everything, like the yeah. new people, New style of making games because in Finland, everybody kind of makes the games in a certain way. It's a very mobile culture. There, everybody's from EA. Uh, the, the ways of working, like the titles, everything is different. Everything mm-hmm. is 
is the like like it's just a new culture so adapting to that and and taking ownership of the game and being in a company that was not doing good at that point uh not good at all like the stock price was below two dollars guys you don't even remember what was the zynga below two dollars stock price mm. and going through like three ceos eight line managers four svps like just a craziest pivots ever and then we got that game to soft launch through a death march and I was like, I need to, I need to kind of take a breather, and I wanna, I wanna focus on building teams. Like, I, like mm-hmm. I, I felt really passionate about starting all over from the scratch. And Fun Plus gave me the opportunity, and um, and I decided to pursue that of of opening up a studio in San Francisco. And back then, Fun Plus was like a shady Chinese developer with a farming game, and I was able to build a studio in San Francisco. Hired a lot of people who, who I worked with at, at Zynga because I already at that point had a good relationship and good network in the city. And that was a fantastic experience. Taught me a lot about, about building studios. And it was kind of unfair because it was very easy because I built it with the people I knew. Hmm. And after we had our kid and after being a year in the U.S. with a, with a newborn far away from the family, we decided to move back to Finland. And I joined Rovio, first headed product, then headed studio. And then again, through similar type of experiences, decided I want to do something from the ground up. I want to rebuild things because changing things that have been already built is very difficult. So here I am right now. Awesome. All right. Uh, before we go into where you are right now, um, did you specifically decide to start your career in like the product manager type of position or uh, was that serendipitous? No, um, there was no decisions because as I was studying in the in the uh, in the business school or uh, university, there were no opportunities to work on games. Like I'd been a player since I was a little chubby kid, and I've always loved games. And you know, I kind of weaned off myself from games, thinking that it's it's for kids. You know, like during the university time and so forth. Tried different type of a careers and different career paths, and marketing and so forth, the business and strategy. And um, I didn't think there was an opportunity to work on games. Mm. I really didn't. I like back then, it just it just wasn't a thing. Like maybe a marketing manager at EA somewhere far away, um, but you know how can I get there? It's not tangible. And mm. then I saw an ad for this associate product manager at Digital Chocolate, and it was for Facebook games. And I was like, wow, like this is very interesting. And I didn't apply for it. Uh, because I didn't feel I was ready, and I waited for almost a year, and they looked again for a, for associate product manager, and I applied, and I got the job, and um, and that that was my start in career. And back then, when I went to gaming, all of my friends looked at me like I was a loser. So what mm. a loser! Like we are working on beer brands, and you are making Facebook games. What a loser, dude! What are you doing with your degree? And then, you know, things change. And, and then I'm like, how's them beers selling, boys? <laughs> nice. Dude, I'm from Belgium. Like, like beer is the only thing we do here, basically. Yeah. So uh, I, know, I know, man. If, if, <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. And because yeah. uh, I, 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 I feel the exact same thing. I remember like going out, mm-hmm. of, out, of, out of business school and thinking, actually gaming like as a, as a career didn't even cross my mind. Like, yeah. It's not even an option, you know? Um yeah, anyway, glad, glad to, to, to have gotten into it now. Um, <laughs> so with your experience as, as a PM, do you like, do you think the PM is like 
the best role to start a career in in the gaming space for the people out there that are uh, still you know considering how how to get into it well no i mean not anybody can be a pm it's um mm -hmm. just like not anybody can be an artist or not anybody mm -hmm. can be a programmer I, it's a it's a totally it's it's one way to start your career if you have a business mm -hmm. background if you love games and you have a business background what other type of a careers you can look at maybe production maybe you know why not could be but even then it's if you have a programming background it's probably easier yeah. So if you have a business background, I think this is this and product marketing and and of course user acquisition are the best ways for you to to get into games. To grow into an executive position, I'd argue that that this is the best track. Because mm. it's yeah. business. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, as you said, uh, PM is not for everyone. What does it take, in according to you, to become successful at being a PM? Yeah, first thing, uh, longevity of the career is dependent on how much you like games. There's a lot of tourists in this industry, as on the PM side, mm -hmm. especially since um, since you can come in from a consulting background or a banking background and get into product management. If you played some games before, you're good in math, you can come in and then you hang out for a couple of years and then you go to work at you know Spotify or Facebook or you, mm -hmm. you name it. So there's a ton of tourists. To have the longevity here, you have to be in love with games and the industry, just constantly, just loving it all the way through. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the longevity. Then secondly, you have to you have to deconstruct games. And like, yeah, I'm gonna say it, but but uh, but what I mean by that is not just play games and talk about them, break them down, challenge yourself. Think about a game you're playing and think about how it could tent 2x revenues. That's insane. Like how could Wild Rift double the revenues? But the thing what a product manager does is it breaks big goals in a lot of smaller goals. Like for example, double the revenue. Okay, what is revenue? Well, revenue is daily active players times average revenue per paying user uh, times conversion. So now, okay, now I have three levers. Like I have daily, can I increase the daily active players? Well, yes. Well, can I increase the retention by increasing the daily returning users? Or can I increase the new players? Okay, can I increase new players? Let's talk about the our user acquisition strategies, talk about retention. So all these elements, and then you start looking at the, uh, the numbers of your game. And through that, you're able to put in a lot of very, very small attainable goals for the team to go after. And the, what the product managers do is they focus the work on meaningful, impactful elements. And, and that's the true role of a product manager and not, you know, whatever people think it is. So that's one kind of breaking down games into minuscular goals and through those being able to grow the game month after month, quarter over quarter, year mm -hmm. over year to be mm -hmm. top hits. Secondly, understanding the marketing. Like if you don't, like any PM who has worked on a live game understands how important it is to, to to be in control of the players that are coming in your game. It's like clients are walking into your store. Who's going to walk into your stores? If let's say, you, let's say you have a motorcycle store, what kind of people do you have? Everybody? I don't think so. You want to be more targeted? Do you want do you want people who are affluent, who, who like motorsports? Like, yes, those are my people. All right. Now you have to start understanding. So it's not for everybody. So through that, like audience understanding, understanding of the marketing, how it works, how the load, how do you leverage it? How do you work with your, uh, with your marketing team? Those are super important because without it, 
you will be optimizing against audience who 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 will tank your game. You know, you won't be in a control of it. Mm-hmm. Um, then some things that you shouldn't do: don't try to code. You're not a coder. It doesn't give you any points to open up your Unity and show or your Unreal Engine. Don't do it. You're you suck as a coder most likely, and it doesn't matter how much time you invest, you'll be still the worst programmer in the whole building. Uh, don't be a designer. There are designers for this. If you try to be a designer, you're not as good. And then you start losing what you're there for. You should be mm. setting goals, not designing the goals. Don't be a producer. You can be a producer in your small pod, but why would you spend your time looking at Jira tasks and evaluating? Like for that, you need a person, you need a producer to focus on it. Don't be a UX designer. This is what PMs also love to do, telling how it feels, how that, like you're not that person. Let's be honest. So, so don't act it. And, and finally, this is a big misconception. You're not a data scientist. Yes, you have to be good with maths. Yes, you have to understand different tools. And, and the more math you handle, the better. But if suddenly you're sitting in front of your com- computer running MSQL and R and doing these analysis and, and just, you know, like, you know, with, with your, like, I've seen this happening so many times with the PM just kind of diving in and it's almost like they're coding because you get into a flow state when you get into that math hmm. and you're not doing the, the things you need to be doing. You're not setting, you're not breaking down the goals. You're not looking at other games. Now you're playing a data scientist and guess what? There are data scientists that you can hire who solely do that work. So yes, hmm. understand. you have to understand all these elements. You have to understand what the team does. You understand how games are being made. You have to ask constantly questions because you don't know and don't act like you know. That's what people with a business background do. They don't ask questions. They they feel like they will show that they don't understand how things are done. So keep asking questions. Form relationships with everyone because you're building a network. You're leveraging. You're pushing people forward. You, you're trying to be a leader and you're and the goal of you is just showing that the, what's the next hill that we have to take in order to move forward. So that's that's the role of a product manager. Wow. That's really good. Moving on from there, what are two to three lessons you took away from some of your experiences that you described before? I'm particularly interested interested in, in Supercell. Uh, we did a talk about Everdale in the recording uh, <laughs> of the Metacast yesterday. And um, yeah, it's just fascinating to me, at least uh, a bit of an outsider, like how, how things are ran there. Mm-hmm. So what do you want me to tell you about Supercell? Back then, the games were going up like rocket ships. You don't need to do anything. Like anything you put into those games, sold. Everything worked. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't take it doesn't take much. And and there wasn't much analysis done. Like always, it was done later. And and there were some mistakes done in the games that only later on you understood. Like multiple builders in Clash Clash of Clans, major mistake. That's why nobody does it before. Everybody was copying Supercell, but I was that bad because the timers go up significantly. So you have these week or two week long timers and they cost a lot to to skip. So that kills the conversion and it just hurts the the, the retention. It's just not a bad, it's a bad idea. Uh, the hero characters were a bad idea. Like, like all these things were bad, but when you put them in the game, they were fantastic. So at the point, they're great. And then later on, like a year later, you'd be like, hmm, bad idea. But, um, but everything worked and anybody who has worked on a top grossing game knows that they feel like king because mm-hmm. anything that you do is going to be major success. But it's not. It's just the game. So so it's it's not even a, a, like a good learning school, right? So uh, this is this is my experience for any for everybody and including myself who have worked on top games. You don't learn anything. Uh, yeah. I remember at Zynga there were people who worked on Farmville 2 and they would anecdotally talk about like 
you know, I don't remember like dogs that they sold in Farmville 2 and how many millions it made when they introduced pets into that game. And they were like, the pets is the thing. Like, no, the game was the thing. Mm. People loved the game. And then when you put the pets into that game, that was amazing. But the pets themselves don't make that game. So there were there were so many people who who kind of couldn't extract the fact that they were successful because the platform was so successful. So you, you could probably go to Epic and talk about them there. They would tell you crazy stories about some season that worked really well. It's like, no, it's just, it's Fortnite, dude. It, yeah, like, yeah. The people love that game. It's not about your your thing that you did that time. It, it's Fortnite. That's, that's what works. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's quite paradoxical because I can imagine then, like if you worked on one of these super successful games, it's going to be easier for you to, you know, to get a next... No, no, no. Nico, there's a, there's a saying that works here and it's either you win or you learn okay so, so whatever you did it's always good <laughs> exactly that's how you have to approach it so the people who have the failures there they can tell you like how they yeah. fail they'll be like oh man we did this and then we didn't understand and they, they will never do that again that's a learning but then when you talk to, to a person who has been working on a on a smash hit they only can it's, it's a human it's a human approach where you only correlate to like th- this i did this and it worked. Hence, what I did was good. Yeah. That's logical, right? That's how our brain works. So that's how. That's why people. It's not that the people are stupid or anything like that. That is how our brain works. My first game was successful. I did the same thing for the second game, and it failed. That was my learning experience. Like, oh, it's not me. It's not how I approach this. It's like every game is different, and it worked then, and it doesn't work now. And that's how. That's how games work. So it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Moving on uh, from there, because pretty early in your career, in your career, you started Deconstructor of Fun, or at least you started blogging about games. What's yeah. the story behind that? Uh, I was always taking notes about different games, even back on Digital Chocolate. Like I would break down economy and and kind of share my my knowledge to to people, and people seemed to really appreciate it because I chew down a big game and kind of explain it to somebody, and then I was like, you know, perceived as as great. So I continued doing it as with anything, as I said, like if you're successful in one thing, then you continue doing it because because it's successful. Mm-hmm. Anyways, at Rovio, like every week we had these. I, I was invited to the uh, to the meetings with the CEO and CFO and and head of games and so forth. We were kind of going through the portfolio. They wanted my analysis and stuff. How did I start blogging? Like there were two things. It was a way to get to do better notes. I, mm-hmm. My notes kind of sucked because I did them for myself and I wasn't really pushing them. So I started putting them out on on a blog and just making them public. And through that, the notes were becoming better and better. And then it, you know, it kind of, it kind of continued from that. I, I don't know, like the key, I don't have any kind of growth strategy, no, no mastermind to it. I remember my girlfriend at, at that time was doing some kind of a like a fashion blog thing like she was reading fashion blogs and she was talking about starting her own maybe she started i don't remember uh but i was like that that, that you know came to my mind i was like okay well maybe i'll do it and then it kind of blew up hmm. yeah i'm personally also a, a very big fan of of this public learning kind of mm-hmm. thing uh it's so powerful because you make yourself accountable right and and, and you yeah. have to push yourself um yeah it's uh it can be super powerful and um i always tell everyone like just start doing it and start because I guess that's what you guys did, right? You just you started and you just didn't stop, and 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 after a while, if if you do good stuff, then uh, it grows. Ten years. Ten years. Yeah, started ten years ago. 
It's not a it's not a great growth story to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, did, did it did it influence your career in other ways? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It influenced significantly, and uh, and there's both good and bad. Like I got I've gotten tremendous amount of opportunities through it, and um, yeah, people everybody reads my my posts. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. I don't know any if they read it. Nah, yeah, yes they do. Uh, but uh, but back then at least you know it was kind of weird to have people read it like you would have you know up to like ceo of ea like hey thanks man good points can i send you some swag it's like what and you know you're like a pm somewhere in helsinki and then it feels like it it feels weird it feels weird that you're talking to these you know the kings of the industry hmm. um so that so that was that was really nice and then of course job opportunities came a lot through that and there have been moments in my life when i'm like i'm not blogging anymore like i just want to concentrate on, on building games and i did that like i would not blog for almost a year and then at some point like these things just bottle up and and i noticed that i'm not learning if i'm not writing i'm just not i can play a game like if you ask me about everdale now i couldn't really explain to you how it works like yeah yeah there's the other uh, the, the mana thing comes from somewhere and there's these workers and and then you assign them to different but i can't break it down to you but if i write about it and i really think about it for for many days and and kind of really concentrate put it in my in my consciousness then i can kind of analyze and put it out and come up with a thesis and that thesis stays with me forever so I don't look at how many t- like the reads. I, I really could not care at all about it, and that's why I think I had the longevity with with Deconstructor Fun because I don't care about if if one person reads it or if ten thousand people read it or if some of the posts have been read for like million times. I don't care about it. Like I really don't. Uh, I just care about learning, and I still only care about learning. I was on the DOF websites. You know, clicking around, um, and I saw your free-to-play mobile games industry predictions for 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what kind of trends are you seeing in the space? Um, and I'm especially interested in one that you think that most people underestimate. See, my trends are I'm not a I'm not Oracle because my trends are always like five months to to the future, maybe 12 if we're being real crazy. <laughs> So I can I can predict which companies are gonna get sold and uh, which subgenres are gonna get filled up and and where the CPIs might rise. Like I can I can do that. I I'm, I'm really bad at at predicting big trends. Like really really bad bad. So what I would say is like kind of like what I wrote. I think cross platform is is huge, especially with with some of the uh, the whale whale genres strategy. As well as RPG, so that's that's going to be a big thing, especially, yeah, especially on on, on just the these PC SKUs. I think, I think crypto is, is becoming bigger and bigger, just because we're now understanding the, you know, the use cases of it. The fact mm-hmm. that you can make an item, an NFT, you can make an item, and that item can be sold multiple multiple times inside the game by player from one player to another. And with every transaction inside your game, the company that made the item, a limited set of items, is earning money. So the item is not anymore worth 10 bucks. It can be worth of 200,000 bucks. And I think those are the elements that that people are, like VCs are grasping it. Mm-hmm. Some of the companies are kind of, you know, shoe, like shoehorning themselves into that. 
Yeah. Uh, but in the future, it will be more and more the companies just being started with that perspective in mind rather than mm-hmm. adapting it on the go. So, In an interview I read, you said that you saw, an, and I quote, opening for games that offer mm-hmm. an opportunity to play with others and have rewarding sessions without the high pressure of player versus player environment. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, this is this is for our own game. And it's, it's basic product placement. So when we, like, things where I failed before is I've, you know, let's build a cool team, make a game that we're all excited about, and it will be a good game. Guess what? No. Like, if it doesn't have marketability, if it's if it doesn't have a good market fit, through that I actually started doing the subgenre analysis. Like, that didn't exist before, and that was a learning by making a failed game. So this is the type of a approach that I have even now with, with making games. It's it's not only understanding the market, but it's also understanding the the player base and when you understand the player base the audience the different trades understand what games they are playing right now and how do they feel about it so we use a lot of great platforms for it so i I use personally 12 trades to understand audiences Mm -hmm. and when i was when you know when we were looking at the shooter genre we're looking at the existing shooter players and we're looking outside mobile and so forth and one thing that came clearly through the research was that the people who are playing current shooters a big percentage of them is not actually in it for the player versus player. And in fact, they don't like it. They like playing with others, but not against others, which is crazy. And there were other very interesting facts that came out through the uh, the audience research. Of course, I'm not going to give everything away. Do your own audience research. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, honing in on, on your players, being player first or whatever the values other companies have. We, we have that value, but we actually execute it by for us player first is being playing shooter games and also analyzing the audience like crazy all the time testing our concepts and so forth so so yeah it's just testing the concepts understanding the audience understanding what they are doing right now and where there could be an opening so that's it all right and so you saw that opening and from there you decided to start building a game that that fits in that space with savage correct Right. Um, and how, how did your experience, so in the beginning we talked a lot about being a PM, how does that translate into your current role as a CEO? So the, the biggest mistake of a CEO in any company, like nobody starts their career as a CEO. I mean, there might mm-hmm. be some people, but, yeah. but very, very seldom. Usually you have some kind of a background. And where most of the CEOs make a mistake, including myself, is that we hone back to what we know. Like if you're a marketing person, you'd be like, all right, I'm going to let me dip into marketing. Let me let me do that because this is my this is my jam. And let me let me do that instead of doing what a CEO should be doing. So that's a that's a that's a product problematic. So you asked me how my product background has has uh, helped me in the CEO role. Maybe I can do better decks than most of the uh, <laughs> your average CEO. Yeah, okay. uh, maybe I can talk numbers better than your average CEO, but I don't want to be the product designer of this game. I don't want to. I can't be that. I need the, the team does it. I can't be because I have power over them through my title. Uh, I need to give people the space to do their own thing and not kind of coming in and saying like, "This is my jam. I know games. I can deconstruct. Let me tell you how this game is done." No, mm. it's their job. I can. I can only ensure that they have the tools and and mm-hmm. challenge them with questions. But I can't be there, you know, answering the questions that I ask. Mm-hmm. Do you have some uh, some other learnings from your time as CEO there? Ton. Like you learn so much as an entrepreneur. It's um, it's crazy. 
it's a it's a very stressful time and and um it's a stressful time because you have a very finite amount of resources and because it's so important for you like you in the end you're responsible for everything mm-hmm. and it's it's really hard to grasp because if you work at the zingas or the supercells of the world you know the game tanks whatever let's drink some champagne listen <laughs> this game tanks ain't nobody drinking champagne mm-hmm. <laughs> so so that's a, that's a that's a big difference because you're firing people who you who you hired like yeah. think about that that's the that's the implication of a failed company mm-hmm. what is uh the current situation of the game when can we expect to, to be able to play something yeah, that's a good question uh we are making this type of a game i'm making a shooter game like i'm first time making this type of a game it's a it's a lot of work because we're approaching it from a perspective of building our shooter engine first so it's on top of the unreal but Mm. but but we've identified and of course we have people who have worked at insomniac and so forth that that building the the shooter engine that it feels good plays good is crucial and even if the first game fails which they often do if you have a strong engine, you can quickly build around it, and you don't have to validate: is the shooting fun? Is it great to play? Like you can change your designs: PVE, PVP, PVP, PVE. This theme, that theme, whatever you want to take. If you have a good core, but if you don't, you're kind of fucked. So we've been focusing on on that core. Uh, we've been running our our tests now. So not now. We've been. What I love about our production process is there hasn't been there has been only one Friday where we didn't have a build to play as a team. And that was already preempted because we had a board build that was to be done on a Wednesday. So that was the only time that that was unplayable. But to, but before that, it's like we play our game all the time and improve internally. The next step is to improve it with external players. So we're doing our playtest cloud tests. And after that, we're entering the core loop test. And after that, we're entering a tech test. Then after that, we're entering a retention test. Then we're monetization. So the, the all the normal... Uh, process but when i don't know i only know the exit criteria for each of the window and it takes it takes time and um there are days when i wish that we were making a merge game in eight weeks and then there's times when i'm happy that we're not making a merge game because it's mm. really hard to market those <laughs> yeah that's fair one last question about your current role as ceo how do you manage to juggle your responsibilities because i think uh ceo is one of the most demanding jobs time demanding job there are um, and you're still doing uh, work for DOF as well. How do you manage to do that? I don't know. I the, the DOF is not that much work to be honest, because what we do uh, maybe one couple of podcasts a week. The podcasts are fantastic because I choose not not, not fantastic in terms of content. Don't get me wrong. The podcast <laughs> that, I, that I do. So one of them is fun. The this week in games and it allows you yeah. to keep in in kind of like in line what's happening with the news. So that's good because as a CEO, I would assume you have to read a little bit above news. All right. So invest an hour, an hour or two to that. So you're kind of reading the news and talking about the news. All right. That makes sense. The other ones are just talking to people in the industry. So I get to choose who's coming into the podcast. We get to talk about the topic of my choosing, whether it's cross promotion, whether it's creative optimization, whether it's building one of the top shooter games, like we had people from Valorant and CEO of Epic, like you name it, having conversations with them. I don't think that's away from my job. I think it's a, mm. it's an addition to my job and I, I don't consider it. Yeah. I, I think it's a good thing. Apart from that, 
I do I do the predictions. I have a pretty good crew working with me on on various different stuff, and and we do have some client projects. But again, I have a pretty good good crew working on those. We can't take much of the stuff, so I've been very happy to give a lot of consulting cases to Novik uh, mm-hmm. to handle right. those. So if you want consulting, guys, go for Novik Deconstructor Fund. Does not do consulting much. We do some advisory. And, um, and even with the advisory clients, we get to choose who we work with. So mm-hmm. if there is, um, let's say hypothetically, a very interesting company that does shooters and they are okay with, with getting our point from a mobile side and their point from a AAA side and they just want to talk shop about making shooters, why not talk shop about making shooters for somebody who makes great shooters? So that's an example. But, um, but other than that, there's not a lot happening at the moment outside the content creation. So... So I would say that. But anyways, to conclude it, if you want to be a part of Deconstructor Fun, holla at me. Like there's plenty of openings. There's a big audience you can address with whatever content you want to do. And I'm more than welcoming for, for people with thought out insights to, to join and bring their name forward however they want it. Mm-hmm. You've heard of people. All right. Um, so uh, I don't know if you know this, but we have two like fixed questions that we ask uh, at the end of every interview. Uh, and the first one would be, um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received on building uh, a game studio? So I've had so many discussions with so many amazing people who have built their studios and, and built their companies. And they all give a different advice. <laughs> Which is really, really weird. I've gotten the advice that you should be laser focused. And I've gotten the advice that you should have outside activities as well, like like mm. the blog, for example, because mm-hmm. it allows you to kind of open up your thinking. And this came like from, from two people who were both very successful in what they did and both had contradicting advices. So the best advice that I could give you uh, to anybody who's listening is... Just be open about about everything. Like do what you feel is right. Listen to everybody. Take everybody's feedback and then make your own decision and stay with it. This is my advice that I'm trying to give myself is stay the course because there's so many cool ideas, so many cool things you'd want to do. But it's really important to stay the course. And that's why in my podcast, I always ask founders and all the leaders, they maybe don't know it, but, but I ask them, how were, how were you able to stay the course? And you'd be like, what kind of question that is? But it <laughs> comes from, from the opportunities, from, from the shift in the market, from the, from the challenges in what you're currently doing. And it feels so much easier to start something new, um, something mm-hmm. different, to go after a certain thing. Like, let's do NFT. Let's do a little bit of a crypto. Let's pivot away from this. It could be, this is so hard. We've gone so far and it's so difficult. Let's do this instead. So stay the course. That's it. Like if you've set a course, stay the course. I give this advice to others and I'm bad at taking this advice myself, but I keep telling it <laughs> to myself. At, at some point you'll get the there, time. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's clear that um, from what I've heard, it's clear that game making is not an exact science. There's not a one size fits, no. fits all approach. Everyone's different. Every game's different. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I just had this like just before this recording, I was talking to somebody and we were talking about TPS versus FPS and the market positioning of the players wanted this and that and should we go from tps to fps not our game but but other companies game and i was like listen you pivot now you're gonna lose people 
because they're, they're going to lose conviction in you if you start pivoting. Based on what? That's not even a fact. That's your feeling. And there might be market data for it. There's also market data get it against it. So stay the course. And he was like, yeah, that makes sense. We're going to stay the course. <laughs> and then I'm like, shit, why doesn't people come to me and talk this way? <laughs> like, stay yeah. the course. Why, why did it take it so long for you to tell me? I mean, this is clearly the best piece of advice. Yeah. Stay the course. There you yeah. go. Stay the course. Right. Stay the course until the... Sh- until the wheels fall off. Exactly. But then again, then again, I do have to say this. There are CEOs who I respect tremendously who have stayed the course and the wheels fell off and they're still mm. on the course. And you'd be like, dude, it's dead. What are we doing here? And they're like, no, no, no. It can still work. You're like, we're four years in. It's not scaling. Mm. But it's a right, right around this corner. We're going to add this feature. We're going to pivot to that. We're going to hire this person. So again, stay the course. Yeah. It doesn't work for everything. Facebook games in 2021 might not be the best course anymore. Might be time yeah, to shift. Yeah. Or if your game hasn't scaled in three years, maybe it's time to start a new one. And if you're mm-hmm. thinking that, no, 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 there's going to happen. And then you say Coin Master or whatever game didn't scale in the first four years or five years and then ended up making two billions a year. If that's your example, it's just the same thing as, as you know, being a, a waitress in Hollywood and saying, like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be found one day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the, the most famous actor or actress. So again, stay the course works to some extent. So I would say stay the course until it doesn't make sense anymore. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Whatever that means. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thanks for that. All right. And then my my very final question, and it's my favorite question to ask. Could you give us a bold prediction about something in the games industry? Hey, man, you were prepared. You you received the questions beforehand. But it's not about the questions. Like even this previous question was so difficult to answer that I gave a bullshit answer about everything and nothing. So, so well, in the, in the, the end, you predi- got to something. So, yeah, the bold prediction. Well, I think I think we are at the height of heights, and I think there's going to be some hard years ahead because it's overheated. Mm-hmm. And what is like the games industry, like economy, or? All of it, all okay. of it. Economy is overheated, of course, and that's why the money keeps pouring into mm-hmm. more riskier investments like the games. Uh, the valuations are absurd with mm-hmm. everything. So now things are booming. It's like the, um, it's like the rowdy twenties. Mm-hmm. What happens when when you know when the music stops? So the bold prediction there is the companies that haven't been able to validate their businesses whether they're the NFTs or the metaverses or, or even some, some game companies that are not, you know, not profitable, they're going to tank and it's going to be, it's going to be, um, I don't know, the, the industry kind of gives, like, there's like so, almost like a rebirth happening once in a while. So I've gone through one, through the uh, Facebook to mobile, and I'm just constantly waiting. So when are we going to take that leap from one platform to another, to something else to emerge and something to die? Mm-hmm. The VR was was kind of very small. Like it kind of everybody was expecting it to happen and it didn't. In some games, everybody was expecting it to happen and it didn't. So I'm kind of waiting. Like when is the next thing gonna happen and really break the bank? Like something. I I just don't see us, for example, using mobile phones forever, right? Like at some point, like it's crazy to just walk around with a phone and constantly looking at this ever mm-hmm. ever bigger and brighter screen. That's gonna go away. And when that goes away, the whole business goes away. And it's going to happen extremely fast. Hmm. And then how do you adapt to that? Yeah. 
I am. I'm personally like I. I prefer to put my money with startups, innovative startups, and spread them wide than go for like the incumbents that are have been slow in in transitioning to new types of technologies. Um, yeah, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All cool. right. That was uh, that was all very interesting. Thank you, Mishka. Um, yeah. Anything? Last words you want to say to the audience? Last words to the audience. Yeah. Um, listen to Deconstructive Fun Podcast yeah. if you Twig. are interested into hearing more about this. You know, if if you like my jam and <laughs> like this crazy talk, then that's yeah. for you. If you don't, don't listen yeah. to it. <laughs> if, if, if you like people ranting about games, then just listen to Twig every week. They, they got you yeah. covered. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. that's a that's a that's a good way of saying it. And don't take it serious, guys. Stop it. This is like a this is like a water cooler talk on Twig. Mm. It's exactly what everybody does in their companies, but we just do it publicly. So mm-hmm. sorry for doing it publicly. What you do next right. to everybody else, and people might be hating on you, but they're still listening. You know, so they love it. So um, yeah, cool. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to offend anybody. I don't. I'm. I'm. A, I've failed so many times that I feel for everybody who has failed. So I'm. I apologize for calling people for for failing on on games and stuff. I know how hard it feels. It's not personal. I've been there too many times, and probably will be in that position in the future based on the stats. So you know, <laughs> let's just be friends. <laughs> yeah, everyone fails, and it's 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 another lesson learned. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Mishka, for all your insights, and dear listeners, thank it. you. Thank you for listening. As I've already said, if you like what Mishka's talking about, you can follow him uh, and listen to the Deconstructor Fun podcast as well. And if you like what you heard here, feel free to give us a a good rating and leave a comment and subscribe. Uh, For more content about the business of games, visit navic.co. This was Metacost, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. (laughs) 